Welcome to Scaling Impact, where we decode how entrepreneurs are harnessing the power of the UN Sustainable Development Goals to create remarkable and impactful businesses that drive transformation on a global and local human scale. We explore how sustainability is elevating our human consciousness and catalyzing us to create within constraints. We decipher why now is the biggest entrepreneurial opportunity since the dawn of industrialization and what leaders and entrepreneurs can do to harness the winds of change. I'm Anderson Manilson, global futurist, EO Sydney impact champion and father, and your co-host with Lisa Andrews for Scaling Impact. Welcome to EO Sydney's global podcast, Scaling Impact. And uh, I think we've got the perfect guest with us uh, in the studio today, Ali Hill from Pragmatic Thinking. Great to have you join us. Thanks, Anders. Thanks, Lisa. Look, it's such a delight to to be hanging out with you. Incredible. So Scaling Impact is about EOers that are taking action and we want to inspire more actions, primarily around the sustainable development goals for the United Nations. And so today we're talking around SDG 4, quality education. So Ali, can I ask, why do you care about education? Great question, Lisa. And this is such a topic that's close to my heart. I've got a short answer and a long answer to that. The very first one is probably comes from a philosophy of when we know better, we do better. And I think education is the portal to that. Uh, The world we know is changing, it's changing at a rapid pace and education is the thing that helps us to to adapt, to understand, to comprehend and move forward. This is my short answer. My long answer is I come from a line of educators. So my grandfather was a primary school principal, my mother was was an educator at heart throughout her entire career. Um, So it's probably no surprise that the pull towards learning, curiosity, asking a lot of questions... uh, and education is a big part of who I am. Yeah, fantastic. I'm, I'm just curious. Um, I mean, you guys at Pragmatic Thinking, one one of you know Australia's fastest growing educational institutions. I mean, you work a lot with everything from culture change to sort of management consulting to learning and development. And uh, I tend to think of my own education. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I, I am a bit of a stickler for, for, for learning and, and sort of personal professional growth. But I also reflect back that, you know, throughout life, we tend to sort of over-index on education at a fairly young age. You know, we, we go to school from, you know, five or six or seven, depending on, you know, your, your country. And um, and then by the end of uni, we're sort of going, oh, now we're done. And uh, we enter the workforce and, and, and hopefully we learned a few theoretical and practical things. And then maybe, you know, once a year they send us off, uh, you know, to spend some time with HR or L&D and, and then, uh, you know, we get our CPD points. Uh, is that the right approach or where, where do you sort of see the future of quality education? For mine, I think, and this is where an understanding of education is different or an interpretation of what education is, we'll often think of that formality of school. And for a lot of people, their experience of school education was one, and particularly when I talk to entrepreneurs, they were so interested in getting out there and getting their hands on the world that actually sitting in a classroom with 24 other people, having to follow through the same process, having to learn how to um, to complete an essay, just 
wasn't really the education that lit them up. So when you talk about education, they go, oh, God, like I don't want to go back to that. Um, And university can be an extension of that. And so you can understand why people go, that's it. I'm kind of done with, with formal education. When I think about quality education, it's that following your curiosity. What can you get interested in? What can I learn more about that comes from somewhere else um, or an area that I hadn't thought of before? So when it comes to quality education, I think that's where we talk about lifelong learning. And that can come in a whole range of different formats. It can be in that that formal structure uh, and there's some really great value in that. It can be in a, a workplace environment where you, where you talked about, HR has got a new pro, you know, um, program for you to be a part of. Some of that is amazing. And when, when obviously we do a lot of work inside organisations around that. Um, or it can be forging your own education. Uh, I think I've got a straight line to Booktopia. So what are the, the latest research, the latest books, the latest thinking, uh, TED Talks um, that you could kind of invest in? So really when you think about education, it's what are our biases, what do we think about and where can we expand that sense of what education looks like for us? I love that, Ali. It sounds like you're really raising the bar and the people you're encouraging people to raise the bar in what they're doing. And I'd love to give our listeners a little bit of context around SDG number four and how raising the bar can be relevant. And I guess, you know, with about 7.8 billion people in the global population, uh, there's about, uh, I think it's about 3 billion of those are in the developed nations and 5 billion in developing nations. And so we're sort of looking at that 2 billion kids internationally Uh, where they don't actually have quality information and quality education. So uh, in in the context, I guess, when I I break it down, you've got kids and then it's in developed nations and then in developing nations and then the same with adult education as well. Uh, And I'd love to share some of the stats. What I think is important when we're talking about raising the bar is one of the sub-goals for the SDGs was around um, proficiency in certain skills. And I look at that proficiency and in Australia, we've got 95% proficiency. So it's things like copy and paste, create a PowerPoint presentation. And some of these are basic skills that in Australia, we're 95% there, whereas internationally, it just isn't existent. So I I think about those and that in Australia, we've got this opportunity to raise the bar in all sorts of different areas. And so primarily in the lens of, of this podcast around adult education, where do you see we can raise the bar and what are some of the mega trends that are things that you'd love people to learn? It is such a, a you know, a good point. And I had a look in, in preparation for this this podcast. I wanted to dive into that SDG number four um, and even just the actual wording around it. So ensuring inclusive and equitable quality education to promote lifelong learning opportunities for all. For me, that kind of sums up what we're talking about, raising the bar, that it is lifelong learning. It's not just this kind of staged approach. It's really critical that we are looking at those proficiencies from a young age. And you're right, it's not equitable from a global perspective. And so some of that is to recognise here in Australia um, the, the advantages that we have and how can we build on that. So we've already got, if the bar's already raised and It's recognising that we've got that, that my kids at the age of 12 and 14 know how to put a PowerPoint presentation. So what are they going to do with that? 
How do they? How does that help them with what's next? How can they teach and show others um, in terms of making that access available? Is something that really kind of comes to mind. So thinking globally while we're actually looking at education for ourselves in in the our own kind of area. The other statistic when I was researching this that really struck me, and if we think about it from a point in time where we are here in 2022, um, but the United Nations said that COVID-19 has wiped out 20 years of education gains on a global perspective, which is huge. Uh, So for me, if we can do that in the space of two years, we can wipe out 20, then surely we can do the opposite of that, where we can gain 20 years in the, in the next two. Um, so when I think about raising the bar, what kind of impact has that had on whether it's kids missing out on their final year of school, um, whether it's on uh, uni- you know individuals that have just decided not to go to university or continue that education, um, access, inclusivity, the encouragement, the support, the mentoring of talking about what does education look like, inviting people into the education conversation. Uh, That to me, I think is one of the things that we need to be raising the bar on in the next two years if, if we see the impact on a global perspective that just COVID-19 has had in terms of access. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about PowerPoint. Um, I still see plenty of bad PowerPoints. I don't know what, you know, 95% proficiency quite means there, Lisa. But I also think about the pandemic, you know, throwing us into this sort of future of work experiment. Uh, and if, if someone had said two years ago that, you know, everyone will be working remotely uh, within hours or within weeks and uh, without any change management uh, training, um, you know, if that had been the sort of corporate uh, brief a few years ago, everyone would say, hey, you're crazy. Yet we all sort of just had to launch into that. You know, technology became our lifeline and we had a huge burning platform for for transformation. What have you seen? What what have corporates been investing in? Because people just kind of had to be self-taught for to an extent on, uh, you know, platforms like Riverside or, or Zoom or Microsoft Teams, etc. What, what, what have been the challenges? What have been the opportunities? Have people sort of stepped up and been hungrier for learning? What's what's your sense? It, hasn't it been just an absolute, absolutely fascinating social experiment? Uh, you're right, from a change management perspective, there wasn't a single focus group. We all just did it. Right? <laughs> In entire organisations, entire um, work workforces went to working from home and they made it work work because they had to, because the, the the crisis, the point in time that we were at meant that we had to make it work. What was, uh, what were leaders and specifically we, we have done a huge amount of work with leaders over the last couple of years in that change environment. Um, so the skills that they have been looking for is how do I transfer the leadership I was doing in the office now to a Zoom environment or now to a work from home or a work from anywhere context. And if you just take what I used to do in the office um, and do it in this context, it doesn't work. There are specific skills in the way that we communicate, the way that we check in. We need to be much more overt in our language. You need to be able to summarise because you don't have those other 
elements of nonverbal communication that happen. Uh, you can't make assumptions or you can't have those kind of hallway conversations. What we found and have continued to find, the quality of leaders and also their curiosity to learn um, where some where a leader was at was amplified when they went to that work from home environment. So the leaders that were really interested, invested in their people, wanted to know how to be better leaders, that became amplified even further. The leaders that were micromanagers, the leaders that needed that didn't trust their people, that became amplified even more in a work from home environment. Um, and so, therefore, from an organisational level, how do we do feedback? How do we have conversations? How do we move projects forward? Um, became really, I guess, the focus on on edu- you know in education. What is what is it that we're looking at? What we've also found is that all the statistics show us that people have been productive. So this belief that, hey, it's not working is just not true. Uh, Productivity has absolutely gone through the roof. The key challenges moving ahead into 2022 is what does a hybrid version look like? Um, We're starting to have people come back into the office, but who and when and what are they doing in the office? How do we make sure we're maximising that time when we are coming together? And what's going to look to kind of change? What's the next trends that are kind of moving forward? So they're the they're the key things that uh, we've been having conversations with with leaders and organisations around. Thinking for our listeners as well, the actions they can take. I'm thinking about my digital voice, and you know how that is portrayed within my own organisation, but then externally as well. And so, have you seen that that you know people are actually going online now and they're reaching into uh, bigger, wider areas, I guess, than they could have in their local area. Sort of thinking about the opportunity that large corporates have or that even business owners have now with people being on the internet and people being comfortable working and doing business with people at home. I'm sort of seeing that huge international opportunity and I know that you do work with a lot of international organisations. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Exactly. It's become a bit of a level playing field in, in some regards. There's a few areas where those sort of opportunities have, an, have opened up. One of those is access to talent. So when we have this opportunity to, to work from anywhere, then the talent pool that we're looking at for our own staff, um, that expands geographically. It no longer needs to be restricted, particularly if we're in that kind of knowledge base or it it is the kind of work that can be done in different locations. Obviously, that's quite different if you need someone on the ground. Um, So that's certainly one of the areas. Organisations are much more happy and individuals are much happier to jump onto a Zoom. So often you can find spots in people's calendars that you just maybe couldn't have done when commute was involved. When you had to fly down to, um, you know, a city or to, to catch up with someone, the ability to be able to go, hey, have you got, you know, 20 minutes this afternoon, we'll jump on Zoom. It means that we're much more agile in those conversations and we can have much more direct access to people. In terms of the kind of work that we do and organisations that we connect with, absolutely, we are, you know, 
starting to get more and more conversations with people um, internationally where, again, they would have looked for a local provider. But because we're delivering virtual sessions, it can be done anywhere at any time, then it does mean that you are looking for maybe the best the best people to be working alongside. And uh, as entrepreneurs or as um, you know, business owners, it's actually also thinking about the broader market who you know what is going on in the US what's happening in the UK what's what's happening across Asia Pacific where we might be able to position some of the work that we do so I agree I think there's huge amounts of opportunity in the the way that we work and certainly the way that we connect I'm fascinated by this conversation from a sort of an intergenerational perspective. If we think about, you know, the definition of sustainability as meeting the needs of today's generation without jeopardising the needs of, of future generations, and if we think about the crucial role you guys play at Pragmatic Thinking in terms of educating today's adults, I mean, sure, surely that culturally, even in, in a family, carries down to, to the next generation. Um, but also if we think about the types of skills that you guys are already teaching in a corporate environment the fact that you have your you know your fingers on the pulse of of the mega trends and and i'm sure you're not just teaching classical latin uh in a corporate context are you seeing that there's sort of a, a filter through in terms of what you're you know teaching ostensibly potentially parents uncles aunties and what gets carried through to where their kids are thinking that they might be spending some of their uh time from an educational perspective and making sure that they don't prepare for jobs that won't exist in the future. It is. It's so interesting. And for me, um, I think about it from a personal perspective. I think that kind of curiosity, it's something I want to inject into my own kids. You're right. It's not necessarily about the skills of whilst, and we talked before about, you know, the proficiency of PowerPoint, but what if PowerPoint doesn't exist? What if there is no PowerPoint in 10 years' time? What's the, what's the next version? And so it's the skills behind the skills that I think it's really useful to have conversations about um, with with our kids and, and from an intergenerational perspective. We have the great advantage of working with people and the kinds of education that we do is around uh, people skills and that's one of the things, regardless of what's happening from a technology point of view, regardless of what's happening from a socio-economic point of view, every business is a human business. You are dealing with people, you're dealing with emotions. Um, so one of our programs is called Dealing with the Tough Stuff. So how do you get results from those really critical key conversations that every leader has to have? And you never get to a point where you are okay with tough conversations because what happens when you learn that skill is the conversations get tougher or you get promoted or you, you go from having a team of 20 to having a team of 50 and the issues get bigger or broader or um, more of them. One of the things I love from that program is that we'll, when we get feedback from participants, we'll teach them some key really practical skills on the language that they use and where they direct the conversation so that it become can become depersonalised. But the feedback that we get when people go, yes, that was really great and I've used it at work, but it worked really well with my three-year-old <laughs> or I'm now having better conversations with my teenager as a result of that. That to me is where the intergenerational, when you're talking about it, that we're equipping people with these human skills that are then flowing on to their relationships with family members, 
where they're able to have these conversations with uh, with colleagues, with community, uh, if they're involved in, in community groups, that um, then is making, making them better people, uh, which for me, I think that's part of that kind of role modelling when, when you talk about that intergenerational change. Let's say that you're a business owner and you're leading your organisation and you care about sustainability, but maybe your organisation might not and your team might not. And so, for example, um, to, to actually have those leadership skills to be able to direct conversations, like you say, and learning those skills to be able to say, here's our outcome, then what might people be able to do to be able to get their team on board? And do you think that's important? I think individuals and organisations are being asked this of their staff much more. And I do believe that's going to be a trend into the future. Brands and businesses are being asked to stand by what do they stand for and what's their contribution back on a global level. And that ties in with some of these sustainability goals um, from the United Nations. And there's more, there has been those conversations, but I believe there's going to be more and more of those. Over the last couple of years, obviously, we've had conversations around Black Lives Matter. There's a really critical conversation here in Australia around our First Nations people and their voices. And organisations and leaders are being asked to have a stand on that, um, to to really have a, a line in the sand about what do you believe in and what is what is okay. Some of that is also about personal values. So if being sustainable, recognising our impact on the planet um, is something that's really important to me as an individual um, and we know that the more that I'm aligned to my personal values to the work that I do, that I'm going to do more, I'm going to, my discretionary effort's going to be at a higher level, I'm going to feel like I'm engaged and belong even further to an organisation, then the question is, well, how do I do it? Often I would encourage people to come from that perspective of this is something that really matters to me. It matters to my family. And I want to have a conversation, a curious conversation rather than a, you know, either do this or I'm out of here, but a curious, engaged conversation to go, how could we do this better? And it's an ongoing conversation. You don't go, right, we'll get these five things. Uh, we'll make sure that we... Um, uh, you know, carbon neutral. Um, we've got recycled toilet paper, and we <laughs> and we don't print anything off. We send it all by email. They're the three things, and we're done by Friday. You go great. That's the first step. But what's next? And where can I get curious about the next level of inclusion of sustainability? What's our role and contribution? And what does that look like inside our organisation and inside our culture? So I think. Coming at it from a personal perspective, knowing that it's definitely part of the zeitgeist at the moment where organisations are being asked these questions, but also coming at it from a sense of curiosity and how can we do this together. I guess leaders have been posed with so many new challenges as well. And I guess there's conversations that really polarise people at the moment. And I'm just thinking about vaccinations as one thing that 
can really be polarized within an organization, uh, even Black Lives Matter, being able to raise certain things, it's going to instill a lot of emotion in a lot of your team members. And so I'm hearing the actions around just pretty much being able to step forward as a leader and have a stance. And that is going to filter your values throughout the organization. And you might lose some people and you might not, but you're actually standing up for what you believe in. So an action I've just written down is when there is a global event or something that does come up is communicating that. And for us, it's probably going to be an email to say, hey, this has come up. Let's have a little brainstorm around where we stand and get everyone included in that conversation to be able to say, this is what we believe. If any of our clients ask, if our customers ask, then we're strong within a team of what we collectively believe in. Anders, did you have any actions or anything that you were thinking from that conversation? Yeah, there's a few things. I think the values alignment piece is is so critical. I mean, we've seen it from a talent perspective with a great resignation, which is which is happening globally, which is again a realignment. People have woken up during the pandemic, reconnected with their with their values, with their souls, um, with their icky guy, as the Okinawans would call it, or their life's purpose, and they realise that there is an absolute opportunity, particularly in a world of hybrid work, to you know do something you're passionate about, do something you're really good at. Uh, do something that makes you money, but also what the world needs increasingly. And I think that is such a you know powerful sort of set of overlapping uh, concentric circles in a sense. And I think that is a huge opportunity, uh, not just in terms of you know setting people's creativity th- free in a corporate or L and D environment, uh, but also to really encourage it intergenerationally that you can study something that you're really passionate about for kids. You can make money from something that you're really, really driven by. And the fact that you want to work for an organization that actually has good values and a real sense of uh, ethos moving forward as well. And so I guess, you know, I, I, I'm i curious, you know, when, when we think about that from, I guess, our entrepreneurial audience's perspective, you know, we've called it the three P's of people, planet and profit. Uh, some people call it ESG, environmental, social and governance. There's the triple bottom line, as, as John Elkington uh, calls it. I mean, there's a real entrepreneurial opportunity in quality education, right? I mean, you you guys at Pragmatic Thinking, uh, you've been on the uh, AFR or Australian Financial Review list of the fastest 100 com- uh, companies uh, in terms of growth in Australia. So it's not that you guys just do it uh, from an ethos perspective, although you do, uh, but there's an entrepreneurial opportunity in all of this and aligning yourself with these UN SDGs as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, as you say, there there is a connection from a, a business growth perspective. We are a, a business with heart and when you go into the people business, you need to care about it. But we were often talking to leaders about this kind of pull between, you know, business needs to have a return on investment. Um, the people in our business need to be you know, growing our business. And so it's really lovely to get everyone together and have them feel good. But what is the the business incentive behind it? And one of the reasons why we wanted to go, I guess, really kind of chase that fast growth, and it was a conscious decision, was to recognise that backing culture, backing people, providing a space for people to feel like they belong can also go hand in hand 
with really smart business processes and profit. Uh, so when you talk about fast growth, we, we are a very profitable business and I'm not shying away from that at all. We're not, not a non-for-profit, <laughs> um, but you can actually do both. And you're right, I think there is a more and more a, um, a growing recognition that, that it, you know, it helps to grow business, to invest in your people, to, to um, support them, to, to have them feeling like there's a sense of, of belonging. But also people know they've got a job to be employed to do. So not shying away from the fact that we need to kind of work together. What, where is the business going? And then where, where are you supporting um, where are we supporting you? One of the areas that this has been shown from the data um, time and time again is around women in leadership roles. And so there is just countless research that has happened over the last decade and is continuing to happen across industries, across organisations and across um countries around the world where you have more women in senior leadership roles, it is more profitable for your business. So it is a profit generating strategy to invest in women and have them in leadership roles. So for me, that's that's the kind of data that's really, really interesting. When we talk about sustainability, it's not just a nice to have. It's not the thing that we we give to the person who put their hand up to do a social, to, you know, look after the social things. Um, it's really putting it front and straight at, front and centre on our business strategy, um, recognising that this can help grow our business. So I want to just expand on, on that then. I mean, it's been said that sometimes plumbers taps leak. Um, you know, there's nothing better than, you know, when a futurist does an interview and all of a sudden there's, a, you know, a car car alarm going off outside of the studio <laughs> and it gets to test the uh, acoustics in our studio for a moment in time. But, you know, it's been said, plumber's taps always leak. Um, how do you guys invest in your own education and any tips for the entrepreneurs that will be listening to this in terms of how they can keep their own staff that evidently deliver educational and change management and, and cultural change projects? What kind of investments do you guys make in your own education at uh, Pragmatic Thinking? Uh, I think it, it is such a good point in terms of plumber with the leaky taps or the very thing that you kind of spout to do where we talk about so much of our work is around culture and leadership and we get it right in our business and we get it, we've got so much to learn. There are plenty of times we get it wrong. Um, and so it's, you know, I, I come from that perspective of that student mentality that I'm learning a lot about, you know, culture and leadership um, and growth as well. So some of the, my own education is um, just being in the trenches, to be really honest. <laughs> you learn from your own mistakes and seeing those as learning opportunities, really reflecting on those and going, okay, what are the chances here to do things differently? In those moments of crisis and change, to be able to invest in or reach out to others who might have been through something else very similar. Um, one of the, you know, the biggest things for me personally has been able to talk to other leaders, other business owners, and say, "Hey, this is what I'm facing." And to hear someone go, "Oh, yeah, we've been through that too," and you, oh, it's not 
just me. Okay, what did you learn? What what did you do? How could I do things differently? So I think it, it's almost seeing those opportunities um, from your own curiosity and not being afraid to reach out and share. Um, I've, I could just continue to get blown away and amazed by the generosity of others who, who just are there for you in those moments. So that's, I know it's not formal education, but that's education in another way is to be, be reaching out and um, connecting with other people and, and just doing your own research, gathering that own data. It's not to say they have to do exactly what others have done, but that's just more information or more tools in your toolkit that you can, um, you know, take forward into the next opportunity. In terms of investing in ourselves, I, again, I continue to double down on that, whether that's, um, programs that, you know, I'll go along to education sessions, seminars, um, when I think about what are the key actions for, say, EO members or those as business owners where, you know, don't have enough time, I've got to be really clear about, you know, what I do and where I invest my time, um, is to put aside time to invest in yourself, whether it is reaching out, connecting with others, going to courses, seeing webinars, those sorts of things. My recommendation would be to read twice as much as what you already do uh, and that can be on audiobooks, um, or, you know, even listening to podcasts like this help to stretch your thinking. The biggest one that I have done probably in the last two to three years is to diversify my consumption. What I mean by that, um, again, I had the opportunity of interviewing uh, an amazing, amazing um, Wiradjuri woman called Teela Reid. Uh, so she is an, an Indigenous lawyer based down in Sydney. And she really challenged me to start to read more books from Indigenous authors um, and to start to just expand and diversify the consumption um, of where I was getting information from. And so then I think about, well, where else? Where am I getting information maybe that's just Australia-based, that maybe is um, just the developed world-based and not the developing world? Um, where is it that it's more kind of gender um, kind of bias one way or the other. So for me personally, it's that sense of where can I diversify what I'm consuming from videos, podcasts, books, movies, um, and start to expand my thinking and my my way of seeing the world. Um, and that has just paid dividends to me. I guess we're living in a time where disruption has never been so significant, in, whether it's in your business model or the way that you actually do business being uh, this environment that we're in. So what I'm hearing is an action is uh, doing a skills gap analysis of what skills do you need or what are the gaps in your organization that you might need for your business and do you need to invest in your people to learn those skills or do you need to learn them yourself? And so I, I'm a big fan of um, thinking of information as food. There was a great seven minute TED talk, which was comparing how you actually consciously choose what you buy at the shops for fruit, vegetables, and what you're eating and thinking about information, the same of consciously choosing what you're actually going to digest. Uh, But I guess it goes for the same for your people as well. So thank you for that. Uh, And I think Anders, you've got some quick fire questions. All right. Um, So Ali, are you ready? I'm ready. So cap nod to Tim Ferriss here, every entrepreneur's uh, 
you know, mentor of the mentors. Uh, what purchase of $100 or less has most uh, positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? Oh, it's going to sound really obvious, but books. <laughs> so um, I think it was Seth Godin that said the return on investment of a $25 book is substantial if it's the right book at the right time. Um, and there have been a number of books over the last year that I've read that have just been uh, incredible. So yeah, I'd go books. So to expand on that, then we want, we've obviously heard about one author, Seth Godin, but any other books that you've most given as a gift that you think is really impactful that our EO members should be across? Whenever I go to, and this is true for entrepreneurship, because I think entrepreneurship is all about leadership, whether you've got a team or not, you are leading. Um, so Brene's, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead is transformational. Um, so that would be the book that I, I actually have four copies at home just in case I need to give books to, to other people. <laughs> What's an unusual habit or an absurd, absurd thing that you really love? I, 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 I'm not sure what's what's absurd. Um, you can pass. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that I've got anything to hide. I'm just trying to think what, um, yeah, what that is. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know if it's absurd, but my favourite time of the day is first thing in the morning. So kind of that 5.30 a.m. get up, which does mean that I'm in bed by 8.30, 9 o'clock. I don't know if it's absurd, but it doesn't make me very sociable um, for dinners and evening events. That's all right. We'll go for a morning walk. You're a lark by the sounds of it. So when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or you've lost your focus temporarily, uh, what do you do? And, uh, you know, what questions do you ask yourself in those moments? <laughs> um I'll tell you the things that are unhelpful and then I'll tell you the things that are helpful. I'll often find myself, I just get shorter with people around me and often my kids will be at the the end of that. I'll snap more. I find myself shuffling paper when I, when I know that I'm avoiding things or I'm feeling overwhelmed. You know where you get that pile of paper and you just move it over there feeling like you're doing something but you're not kind of doing anything. So there's just some of the kind of tell signs for me to go, oh, hang on, I've got a, I've got a bit too much on my plate. In terms of the key actions that I do, I it's really, it sounds really simple, but it does help me is to just literally stop what I'm doing and breathe. Even just two kind of deep breaths and go, okay, I've got time. I'm a list writer, so I feel better if I can get it out of my head and writing it down. Um, and then the final one that my husband, Darren, who's who we're in business together, as you know, and as um, he will always laugh, but I will often light a scented candle and he goes, I don't know what that does, but it seems to help. <laughs> but to me, I think it just kind of centers and brings me back. Yeah, there you go. The psychologist uh, has has spoken. And I'm just curious, when, when you think about quality education, obviously, we're all sitting here from a very sort of privileged Western perspective. When we think about quality education and how it can change the world and, and help the developing world and, and, and people of less privilege than us, are there any particular charities or, or social impact investments or, you know, digital uh, learning communi communities, the, the, the Khan Academies or whatever it happens? to be that you guys truly believe in or that you know entrepreneurs can back to help you know give the gift of education back to to others who need it 
There's, there's two that kind of come to mind and for me they, they are kind of um, centred here in Australia because there is, a, there is gaps in education um, from a cultural perspective, particularly with our First Nations people here in Australia. Um, I hope I get the name right, but I think it's the Indigenous, Indigenous Literacy Foundation. Um, I will double check that and make sure that you've got that for the show notes. Um, the, the work that they do on the ground around um, increasing and making sure there's no um, Indigenous children going, getting, you know, slipping through the gaps in terms of literacy. And the other one is the Indigenous Marathon Foundation, which was started by Robert DeCostella here in Australia. And really that is about investing in, in essentially in emerging leaders in, in Indigenous communities, um, but through the avenue of running. Uh, and so the um, program happens once a year. Um, individuals can apply for the program and um, they will do the training in order to then culminate in, a, in running a marathon together at a certain point. But really it's it's investing in individuals on the ground um, and some of the, the work that they do is extraordinary and there is a real connection to investing in leaders and having people step up in a voice but it's through this avenue of um, obviously the, the love of running which Robert DeCostella kind of brings. So they're the two that, um, that we're really passionate about and, um, and invest in. Lisa, what questions should we have asked that we haven't yet asked? Oh, I love that. I'm just thinking so much even just for our listeners to ask questions of themselves. So, you know, what are the gaps in uh, their local areas or in their business community that they can help fill the gaps? And then also how are they raising the bar in their own organisation? Do they have two or three highlights where they can say, hey, we did this really great thing for our people this year? that they could share. So, Ali, thank you so much. You've um, instilled a number of questions for me that I need to go and ask of ourselves and our business and make the most of our entrepreneurial privilege, I believe, that we have in this world to be able to continue to raise the bar. And um, Ali, thank you so much for, for illuminating the path forward. I think you guys are a walking, breathing example of how doing good while doing well truly go hand in hand. And that maybe the only way to be sustainably profitable is to actually run a scaling impact business just like you guys are at Pragmatic Thinking. So thank you so much for, uh, for your time here today with Lisa and myself. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Anders, and thank you, Lisa. It's been such a delight to to chat with you both. And um, yeah, for me, it is just that ongoing curiosity of investing in my own education, my own learning. There is libraries and libraries and libraries of the things that I do not know. Uh, I'm not going to have enough time on this planet to learn them all, but geez, I'm going to give it a crack. So <laughs> that's my um, my take on education. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ali. Thank you for tuning in to Scaling Impact. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcatcher and we'd be super grateful if you leave us a great review. For more information about Scaling Impact, the Entrepreneurs' Organization, or our work on sustainable innovation, please check out EO Sydney online. We would appreciate if you can take a moment to share the podcast with a friend or a colleague and help build the movement. We hope that what we learn together on Scaling Impact can help us all build a sustainable future for ourselves and our children. See you in the near future.